0: Hello and welcome to Rational Radio, I'm Lee Stoyal. And I'm
1: Alexander Wales.
2: And this is episode 59, Worth the Candle Postmortem. So, yeah, congratulations on finally finishing. It was one of my favorite, if not my favorite fantasy series. Glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, very much. So there's a lot we can talk about, but for people who didn't listen to our previous episode on Worth the Candle, which was over three years ago now anyway, probably good to start with what made you decide to write what turned out to be your longest story to date under pseudonym.
1: So I had I'd been writing Glimwarden and I perceived myself to have made some mistakes in how I was handling the story. So Glimwarden was supposed to be a 10-book series. I wanted it to just be super long because, for one, I think those sell better and I also like mm-hmm. the feel of them better. Um, I like the how rich and textured a character can feel if you just spend a mm. really long time with them and how how a world can feel so much more alive if you if you do like 10 books of world building for it
2: um yeah it's got room to breathe in it
1: yeah so the the plan for Glamordyn had been a four person like kind of shifting uh, viewpoint thing and uh, have to, to have the fourth person be kind of introduced late after like ten chapters mm-hmm. or so, and I I just uh, I I needed for Chloe's chapters to be like for for Chloe's introduction to be like twice as long or maybe even like three mm-hmm. times as long and should have just been interleaved or something I don't know there there's structural issues at the beginning and it was just making it hard to write and. Um, I just like kept I kept having to punt on chapters because I was I was trying to do it like one chapter a week, right? Um, mm-hmm. I kept having to punt on chapters and kept not being like satisfied with it, and I was getting like anxious and anxiety for me leads to depression, and mm-hmm. so then I I called an end to that and I just like took a a little break from writing, and then I wanted to write again, and. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd actually still been working on Warden for a little bit, like, trying to, like, do more chapters and, like, see if I could work through some of the, some of the problems that I was having with it, um, and, um, yeah, I, I I wanted to write again, I just kind of wanted to write a story that I could be unconcerned about, um, Mm -hmm. a story that I could that I could go into and have some big ideas and writing under a pseudonym is great because no one expects anything of you. You're just some random mm-hmm. writer on the internet and um it's not like I was it's not like I was internet famous, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like there were that many people like reading the stuff that I wrote that I should have needed to be worried about that, I think. But um I still I still was. I was still like especially having Put something on hiatus. I just kind of like, I just I just wanted I wanted the there to be like such a low ceiling for or such such a low floor for success, Mm -hmm. right? Because when you when you post something, if you're a new author, you should expect to get practically no feedback and for you know people to just tell you it sucks or or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean that that's that's what happens for most people yeah, so I, I, I wanted I wanted just a a fresh start and to not have any perceived baggage that might come from the I mean, because Alexander Wales is this a, a pseudonym, too, right? Um, mm-hmm. but i I didn't want the any baggage that came with it. I didn't want any expectation. And I partly just didn't want I, you know, it was it was always intended to be a personal story. Right, like from mm-hmm. from conception, it was supposed to be a way for me to work through just some personal feelings, which I'm sure we'll get mm-hmm. into. Um, but having a pseudonym for that, in addition to the obf- obfuscation uh, that goes on in the work itself, right? Because like Juniper is in some ways a self-insert, but mm-hmm. uh, a lot of details were changed so that first of all, it wouldn't be like directly talking about people I'd grown up with who, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know, they're still out there, right? Like my high school girlfriend, Claire, I didn't want her to, at some point come across this, especially if, you know, especially if it was like moderately popular
0: (laughs) and just be like, Oh,
1: Oh wow. So you like put me into this novel and like, this isn't how I sound at all. And is this like your warped version of, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: of events and stuff like that. So I, I, I had, you know, change around the characters i early on i think for every of the principal cast of uh teenagers for like the earth flashbacks and stuff early on i had everyone written out as like who they were a blend of uh from my like actual friends and like what mm-hmm. characteristics they were gonna have and where they diverged and and things like that but yeah so i i was writing under a, a pseudonym partly because it was personal partly just to not have any expectations and it worked really well. Mm-hmm. I just I just wanted to like get the words flowing again. That yep. first that first like month, month and a half, it was like four thousand words a day.
2: Which uh for, for the listeners, uh that's a lot. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's 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 very good output. I think overall Worth Candle averaged one thousand one hundred words per day for the mm-hmm. almost exactly four years that it ran. Uplogs are a little bit faster. It should bump that average up, but and a 1,000 words a day is fine. It's not... I mean, there. there are, yeah, there are lots of authors who would envy that because that's like 400,000 words... 400,000 words a year.
2: Yeah, fairly common reference point, I think, especially for our listeners. Ender's Game is about 100,000 words. Right. So if you're writing a 1,000 words per day, you can write three Ender's Games per year and have time left over.
1: Yeah, so Worth the Candle is almost exactly 400,000 words per year. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit over that. So... But but when I started, it was it was four thousand, five thousand words a day. I think I think the first thirty days it was like six thousand, and then it slowed to four thousand
0: mm-hmm.
1: after that. And then uh, it, there were bumps in the road as far as my mental health, and
2: we had the pandemic and stuff. And mm-hmm. I imagine particularly hard chapters being really slowed you down too. Yeah, yeah,
1: there there were. I think some of them were. I don't know. We we can talk about like what I think the High points and low mm-hmm. points and like in terms especially in terms of writing experience. But yeah, when I started out, it was it was going really well. I didn't have anyone who knew what I was doing. I think my my wife just knew I was writing a lot, that I was spending mm-hmm. a lot of my time writing, so when I'd started, I had been DMing a game um of Dungeons and Dragons. And mm-hmm. I had in Work the Candle, it's called Small Gods. Uh, I think, and it's called God's Game in my like own personal files or something like that. But mm-hmm. um, I had had this idea of just having a super giant world, and that's just got like everything in it. You know, not not just like a regular fantasy kitchen sink because that mm-hmm. you know Dungeons and Dragons often or like Pathfinder often end up as that. But um...
2: yeah, for for lack of a better word, there's a cross-genre feel to. Uh, worth the candle. Yeah, it it feels like it's it's simultaneously a story about like various different kinds of first contact from June perspective, uh, and also it's a story about like a bunch of different clashing not just magic systems but like frames of thinking. Yeah, uh, that like manifest as magic systems, right? So like you can you can have your sentient cursed weapons, uh, and also you can have the nuts and bolts rune magic, uh, and also you can have the feelings and and vague uh, druidic magic. Uh, and it doesn't all have to be explained by the same system.
0: Yeah.
1: The for the D and D campaign, I I was mm-hmm. making a world building document for that, and I had I had fifty or so nations, and each one was different. Each one had its own like thing, and then I added in around thirty magic systems that were meant to 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 do that for like have players have that many options. I don't think you can do, but um, if you want them to be enemies, then it's a lot. It's a lot easier because you they can come in and they have like their own gimmick and stuff, and you can be like, Well, there's right. lots of these guys around and you'll you'll see them eventually. So the the plot of the campaign, which was being run sort of as I was developing Worth the Candle. I was working on the world building document for that, as I was working on the sort of initial plans for Worth the Candle, and they were kind of cross-pollinating over the course of like, I don't know, two weeks. The the initial plot of the campaign was, you know, there's, like, a small town, and the, the the central hook for the campaign world is that there's, like, a god for absolutely everything. And so there's a god for every small town, and there's a god for every stream, and the gods outnumber the people. And there was a... It was, like, a copper mine or something like that that had been taken over by rust monsters... By, who had been sent there by the god of rust monsters and there was a revision mage who are much more powerful in this campaign world who, who was coming there to like undo all the rust so that the mine could be functional again and um that was like the first like hook for the session yeah well for the first like few sessions because they have to go down the mines and clear mm-hmm. out some of the rust monsters and like protect this revision mage who is gonna mm-hmm. basically undo all the r- rust in the entire mine and stuff like that Um, but I had, I had written up a ton of stuff for that and it just, I just wanted it to have, I didn't want it to be a kitchen sink where you're bringing in a bunch of known stuff. I wanted it to be a kitchen sink of all my own stuff. Right. So, so this, this like list of 30 magic systems, I was not using any existing sources. I was just like, okay, let's find a keyword. Let's find the keyword blood and let's see what we can do with it. Let's, let's, you know let's do wax magic. Like, that's that sounds interesting in my head. What is it going to be? And so I, I was making magic systems just, you know, sometimes just, like, a single sentence or a single line right. to, to like, anchor it to, to something so I would know and be able to improvise if it came up. But, like, ash magic and candle magic and stuff. Um, so to start Worth the Candle, I had 22 magic systems, and then I had some sort of overviews of... Of what the world was like, I remember doing a bunch of math about uh, teleportation and how much mm-hmm. it should cost, like relative to some market basket. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then I just started writing, and yeah, it was always supposed to be about Arthur. I think when I, I think when I started, I have some kind of embarrassing like word count estimates. That's like four hundred thousand words, which uh, is off by like. An embarrassing amount. That's but Well you said but you said it was going to be about Arthur's story at first? No, no, no. It was going to be well, okay, so so when I I had written some Arthur stories. Not very mm. much. Uh it was just kind of I had this friend, David, in high school and he died mm-hmm. the summer of, after our senior year. So it was before we were all gonna go to college. And he died in a car accident. Um and most of the details are the same for Arthur, as far as like. There, there is a bunch of stuff that's different. Um, mm-hmm. obviously, just because I guess I didn't want to go that close. Um, and then I had a, a different friend who died in a different car accident freshman year of college, and so Arthur is kind of a blend of, of those two. Just because I, I don't know. It was, it was rough. It was, mm-hmm. it was so. I don't know to to like die in like such a a pointless meaningless way so young is, mm-hmm. is just like hurts so much to to like know that that's like a whole you know cuz like we had just graduated from yeah from high school and like we're we're going to go do all this other stuff and it's just like a whole life that's not there anymore and then I don't know this stayed with me for a, a very long time And I was, so, like, four years and however many months ago, I was sitting in in the basement, and I was just, like, feeling like shit about that, which had happened, you know, 12, 13 years ago, or 12 12 or 13 years before that. I had, Mm -hmm. you know, I had been in therapy, and I had, you know, medical treatment for depression and stuff like that, and it still was, like...
2: It doesn't really leave you
1: yeah and so I had tried writing some Arthur stories, and I could just see that it wasn't gonna help at all so i wrote I wrote like a few initial chapters of like just like the I k thing. Mm-hmm. and then i wrote i wrote a climax without having written most of the intervening stuff uh, mm-hmm. of like fighting the dark king and i i could just i could just tell how much. I mean, I I I enjoyed the climax. It's something I was, you know, happy with having written because I thought it was a good piece of writing, but it did not emotionally satisfy the need, and I just wanted I don't I wanted it to like keep going. And I um we'll talk about the epilogues later, but um there is a sense when you finish a book that like when you finish reading a book that you're like, man, I just I just want this. I want more of this. You know. Mm-hmm. And I think as a writer, one of the dangerous things is that you can just write more, yeah. you know, <laughs> like you're not limited yeah. by there not being more because you can just generate more at, at cost of time, obviously. But so I yeah, I, I had written some of the Arthur stuff. I wrote uh, mm-hmm. I wrote a later conversation with the guy who'd become Vervain uh, in the thing that was kind of mm-hmm. like trying to talk out some of this stuff. Uh, and then I just, I decided, okay, we're going to like, we're going to do the Juniper stuff and we're going to do this big, huge world. That's like set in the aftermath of a thousand campaigns. And it's going to be like your,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: my, my natural comparison is, is like dungeons and dragons with all the splat books, all the books that the little supplemental books that add more and more, you know, sects and races and features and Mm -hmm. stuff in, um, so that was kind of my starting point for what the world should feel like or what the whole thing should overall feel It should just feel like there's so much stuff there, and so much of it should be like steeped in in like my own brand is probably the the wrong word, but um:
2: Well, your ability to not just create a new magic system and not just think through the implications of the magic system on a on a gamer slash mechanical level. But also then like integrated into the world is like almost it's like not even it's not even half of what you do. Cause like you you then also uh added more magic systems and more magic systems and more magic systems and more magic systems. Like right, you said like over yeah. twenty to start with. Uh and you built a world in which all these magic systems existed at the same time, which is insane. <laughs> you are a crazy person. Yeah um like Brandon Sanderson gets a lot of gets a lot of praise for like you know building really great magic systems uh at most he built like 3 of them at, in one in one series and like you know like maybe 8 of them depending on how you define you know magic systems but they're always like secretive things that like only certain people can do and like uh they get revealed little by little over the story you built dozens of magic systems into a world as part of the world and that is something that D&D does not do like they'll, they'll introduce new splats yeah uh, right the, and and you know they more or less you you kind of play with a few of them at a time, right whichever of your players feel like they want to they want to utilize or the dm will let you, but like the world doesn't like have all the other splats in it, like just running in the background,
0: yeah uh, usually, and
2: I think
1: that's one of the things that i that is too worth the candle's credit um because because i yeah, you, you know i was I was trying hard to to do to do that stuff and to make sure that when And I don't think that this is something that was necessarily like core to the themes of the work. But I had been thinking a lot about the way our world feels to me. Like you're just inundated with with content and with pieces of the world. And there's so much to learn about everything. Mm -hmm. And you have so much access to all of it that it feels kind of overwhelming. And um, at the same time, everything feels kind of the same. It just... Like my conception of going into a different like like going to like Paris is not going to be that substantially different from going to New York City, right? With globalization, things are just kind of flattening out and becoming more and more similar to each other just by virtue of the mechanisms in the background that are that are sort of that are that are sort of driving everything to converge in similar ways. Right, like If you go to pretty much any metropolis, people are going to dress very similarly. A lot of that's just like culture, but a lot of it is just the manufacturing processes are going to be the same for everyone. People are, for the most part, consuming the same media and stuff. That was one of the things that I was thinking about with ARB, and it's one of the reasons they get the teleportation key so soon, which a lot of people complained about. Early on, that it felt like, it felt like the cities just kind of existed independent of the, each other. And also, like, I, I don't know, I I'm not sure that, that part of it worked. But I, I I liked the idea that that you can fly from from like New York City to Malta or or somewhere, and the intervening distance doesn't really matter to you. The the like these places, there's no sense of journey. There's no sense of of like transition. It's just you get in this metal can, and then suddenly you're in this other place, and it. In a lot of ways, like there're going to be differences. Obviously, there're going to be big differences, but in a lot of ways, it's just going to feel like a different place. I don't, I don't think that that like thematically worked, but it's one of the things that I was thinking about. It's one of the reasons that decision was made because I,
2: I. <laughs> yeah. So this is, this is kind of what I meant by it's like it's genre blending, yeah. right? Because you get not just like it's it reminded me in part of like uh old, old old school uh science fiction where like you would get this this like person you know crash landing on like an alien planet and like he would go from like one one city or a region to another and they would all be so different and bizarre and these different in in these like really sharp ways and you know in one setting it could be more of a struggling against you know low tech kind of environment and another one it could be a like modern metro- metropolitan or futuristic metropolitan setting mm-hmm. and yeah i mean if if you took away the teleportation key or at least gave it some way later sure, you could have had you know, another 100,000 words of, of just like, traveling from one yeah. place to another. But pacing-wise, that would have really fucked with the, with the character right. development and plot, right? Like, introducing new characters would have been like, ah, they found Grack, like, you know halfway between one place and another, and that just feels, yeah, unnecessary.
1: Yeah. One of the other things that I had to decide on early on... So there, there comes a point when they are in Baron Jewel, and they finally have some time to breathe... And Juniper gets the opportunity to ask Amaryllis all of the questions that, like, about the world and stuff. And mm-hmm. the choice there was, okay, classically what you would do is, I mean, one of the classic ways to avoid having to answer all those questions immediately, which is boring for the reader usually. Because it'd be, in In this case, it'd be, I mean, the, the world-building document ended up at 40,000 words. Which is like, I mean, the first Harry Potter book is like sixty thousand. So,
2: yeah, that's at the very least that's a Stephen King novella on its
0: own. Yeah.
1: So I I actually did think maybe we're just gonna do this for like ten chapters. Maybe we're just gonna like be sitting in a hotel room asking questions about the world and do nothing but that. And I thought <laughs> that would be a funny stunt, but not funny enough to
2: <laughs> to justify. Actually not doing funny it. enough
1: to justify it. Yeah. Which is always my problem. I always like am like yeah that would be hilarious. And I've never seen it done, and there's a good reason it's not done. But I just want to do it, so that someone will have done it.
2: I mean, look, <laughs> the more the more cultural cachet you get, the more your ability to do things right? like that grows. So, <laughs> if you if you didn't feel like you could do it when you started worth a candle, I'm pretty sure there's at least a few hundred people who would be very happy to see you do it now. Yeah, but I uh, the other
1: the other way you can avoid that is just putting on time pressure of some kind, mm-hmm. um, and just but the, the the method I went with was you know the the main character gets that information and just doesn't share it until it's relevant, um, which is a fine way to go. But that was one of the early things where I had to make that decision, and I kind of waffled on it back and forth for like I was writing super fast. So it was probably only a day. but I, I was like trying to decide whether what what direction to go. There, because I knew it'd have a lot of repercussions on.
2: Yeah, I mean, that would completely change, you know, <laughs> how you would write the next few major plot points, at least.
1: Yeah, so I'm glad. I'm glad I didn't do that, but I is one of the things that that crossed my mind. But yeah, eventually, eventually, I had written enough that, and like when I started out, I posted on r/rational for like the first chapter or so, and I think I got like 10 upvotes. Which the the general rule of thumb for Reddit is that if you get you multiply the upvotes by 10, and that's how many people actually interacted with it. So you get 10 upvotes. That means 100 people. That's like a there's there's a theory of Reddit s- subreddit, that I I used to be very active on, but that's that still holds true. Uh, that it's it's about it's about 10 times the number of upvotes is how many people actually read the thing. That doesn't apply for like news articles because people only read the headlines. Doesn't apply for um, Discussion threads, because those tend to have more people in them than, like, whatever. But for, for as a rule of thumb, for fiction, you it's ten times the number of of So there may be a hundred people who read it, like, right when it was posted, just because they had nothing better to do, I guess. There's nothing to, like, the, the initial pitch for Worth the Candle was, it wasn't bad, it was just, like, a little cheeky. It was just like, hey, we're just throwing a bunch of stuff in here. This is, like, a self-insert. Gamelet, thing
2: i mean there's there so many of these it is a well established genre that happens to have a lot of fans they're, they're fairly fun things to read if you if you enjoy them right so there's a built-in audience in that sense but i think it would have been almost impossible for you to actually like advertise what this would end up being in a concise way yeah when started. I, I think
1: that there's still an issue there where a lot of people will plug it as like it's all those things but hey it's good this time which is not <laughs> that's not a great way to sell something but that is i, I might be a little guilty <laughs> of that 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 is one of the ways that i see people try to sell worth the candle and i think i think the, the the things that are unique about worth the candle come in i think arthur gets introduced chapter four right beginning beginning of chapter four i think mm-hmm. there's a blurb that's that's like hey I had this friend who He's, like, my best friend and, like, the core of our D&D group. And and he died, and, and this is important about it. And the the flashbacks are another thing that I guess aren't often done. It it kind of depends, but a lot of people will do Iseke for... The reason that they do it is, be, is so that the audience will have a surrogate. They'll have, like, someone to latch on to who is going to be asking all the same questions, right?
2: Right, someone to be the... Uh, audience uh, perspective. Yeah,
1: someone to be the audience perspective, someone to be the fish out of water, and what they will skimp out on a lot of the time is backstory. Right? So it's it, right. like.
2: I think we've talked before about how Harry Potter is a fish out of water audience persona character who is absurdly untouched by the backstory they provide for him. Right. right? Like he is yes. a orphan raised by an abusive family who, like, as soon as he enters, Hogwarts is just a completely normal, regular boy, untouched by trauma or anything.
1: Yeah, and and how uh, I, I guess I'm mostly talking about anime because that's where you mm-hmm. see it. I mean, like Japanese light novels and and manga and anime and stuff are sort of the origin of Isuke, and they do not give backstory very much. It's all like by comparison, Juniper has an enormous amount of backstory, and that starts right. it starts creeping in as you go along. It was always. It was always kind of intent, I mean, no, it was already, always exactly intended to be that for Worth the Candle, it's just a matter of how soon I was going to get to things. But that—that that is one of the things that, in my, to my mind, uh, aside from just its focus on tabletop games, which is not very common, and, like, narrative themes that are also not very common, aside from that, I would say that the, the amount of backstory and flashbacks are, are probably one of the things that distinguish it. But yeah, that that stuff starts starts creeping in pretty soon, I think,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and th- and that that's also one of the reasons that I was writing it that way is because I I kept seeing this thing where like you have someone come from another world, right? They come from Earth, and there's nothing to distinguish them, right? They are like a hero archetype, and it, like it doesn't matter that they came from Earth,
2: or like you know even even within our sub community. Uh, like there have been a couple self-inserted guys before. Two Year Emperor was a good one I enjoyed. Not not to automatically imply that like other ones were bad. I haven't read that many. And it's like easy to make the character, even if you give them personality and backstory, someone who is to some degree happy to be there. Yeah. Like yeah, it, it's 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 a very common fantasy for uh, nerdy young men. So it makes sense to be like. Oh right. I am in this fantasy world now. I've got access to magic. I need to save these people. This is all great. And so giving the character i mean it's not just one, but like giving them a a tragedy that feels clearly not part of the what I, what I would call like the average uh hero's journey in this in this in this genre. Is I think different because you see this fairly often in, in you know the, the standard hero's journey always has someone fucking die you know in, early on in the story to like kick them into adventure or like their parents died before they were born and that like that's all really common but for isekai story like, I've never seen it done before.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of stuff that is, in Worth the Candle that's that's just a reaction to perceived trends in in how other people are doing stuff, but but you know it's it's usually not. I guess the point for me, i there there was a lot of stuff early on that I don't think worked quite right, or that was just throwing too many ideas in. i <laughs> this is a slight sidebar, but I have a I had a campaign world that I made for a a recent d and d campaign, and it had copy clans in it. And the idea was that the God of infinity and God of bodies could, like get together and make a whole bunch of like, permanently level 1 copies of a person and everyone just kept forgetting about it everyone kept forgetting that this was <laughs> like so so the idea was that you you would have these people who are all like copies they start out as copy of low level but they don't like it's like stay as a somewhat undeveloped unactualized person but there's a lot of them which is good for like some things like you know sometimes that's totally fine right like if and and it provides the world with laborers and stuff like that and i thought that was a super interesting idea and then everyone kept forgetting about it because it just wasn't central to the plot and and eventually i just ditched it and i was like okay like if if i'm just going to pretend that i had never introduced this thing and and then we'll just move on but there's there's stuff in the beginning of Worth the Candle, especially that that just didn't work out because I was still trying to feel things out, and it's not that I, I actually took some pains to make sure that like the early installment weirdness stuff gets brought up and addressed, and never actually abandon anything, with with the exception of like two or three retcons throughout the life of the serial.
2: Is there anything particular that comes to mind as things that you would just cut if you were to give Worth the Candle like an editing pass? Mm,
1: I had this thing about glyphs early on where like, like there's a way of making a sigil whose only purpose Mm -hmm. is to like glow and give indications and stuff. And that just did not need to be there at all. It's like, it's, it shows up a couple times and I think it's used later on as like markings on license plates. I I didn't like forget about it, Um, but it just was like uninteresting and unimportant. And not, mm-hmm. like, noticed by anyone, which is the perfect candidate to be cut. Uh, yeah, I might cut fire magic. I just don't think it... I thought fire magic itself was interesting, but by the time it showed up in the story, it wasn't just it was doing anything. And it wasn't... The effects that it had on the world were not terribly interesting effects. It's mostly used in, like, chemical processing and, uh, like,
2: catalyzing reactions and stuff. So I'm going to be that, that reader now who's like, but that's part of the thing. That's what makes like, (laughs) like, that's like wood magic, right? It's like, why is it there? It's there because it's one of the things that makes sense for there to be in in a world where like picking a noun and making a magic system seems to be what the gods were doing. (laughs) Uh, And also like, they're not all suited for combat and adventuring. And even, and even if they are like, there's just other ones that might be better. And like, that's neat. That's, that's something that, (laughs) <laughs> that I, you just don't see often. Of yeah, in
1: I I do think that there is a lot of stuff that is that needs to exist or justifies itself through being part of the flavor and being just part of mm-hmm. this giant this giant world that that is going to take some pains to think through the logical consequences of things. And yeah, some magics are just like are are not going to be useful for an adventurer. And then I think a lot of people are just like, well, if it's not going to be like part of the plot and it's not going to be useful for the adventure, why is it there? And I I disagree with that philosophy for most of them, but I can understand where it's coming from. Gotcha. Dark Wizard of Dunkirk had... There was a section where Rowan is going through a bunch of books in the library, and he reads about these other magic systems, and then they don't get brought up again. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think I have gotten a lot of comments that are just like, why is this introduced if it's not going to be used, if it's not like thing and I was just like, well, that's like it's a bigger world than just this one kingdom and they have their own magical traditions in other places and i I understand that that mindset where if it's mentioned it needs to it needs to be a Chekhov's gun it needs to be like a brick that comes back for a joke somewhere it needs to do something for the plot but or at least be a red herring right but in that case it, it's just like it's a big world and it needs to be bigger than than just the plot it needs it needs to have this feeling of largeness and for that it needs a bunch of stuff that that just doesn't come up or get resolved right. or or is just like maybe there's an answer in a world building document somewhere but it's not it's just kind of there
0: but one thing I'll say about that is that I think there's a secret to a lot of story success that people don't seem to talk about when they mention things like Chekhov's guns and how important, they suppose, they are. Like, the original three Star Wars movies were, I think, pretty good movies. If you take off the rose-tinted goggles, like, if you just show them to someone who never heard of Star Wars before, but still has access to modern movies and stories, I think they would still be good. Like, people would still enjoy them. They had, like, a decent plot. They had good characters, an amazing soundtrack. The special effects are a bit dated, but actually hold up surprisingly well. Like, overall, just a solid trilogy of films. They're not perfect, but they're good. But while I don't want to take away from, like, what those movies were, especially in light of how, like, awful the prequels and sequels were, I also think it wasn't actually the story of Star Wars that people fell in love with. I think if you could took the plot and characters and transplanted them into a different setting, like Arthur does for Arb, I don't think they would have become the cultural phenomenon they did in our world. In Arb their importance also came in part from the fact that like Arthur wrote them and people dissected the meaning of the stories, given the life that he led and what kind of person he was. But in our world, a Star Wars trilogy set in a non Star Wars setting, like you know, somehow set in like a uh, like a slightly magical Wild West or like a even just a fantasy setting, I think would lose a lot of what Star Wars did and essentially would just be like decent action movies. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by what Star Wars did, like what I would claim that what Star Wars did is that it created a world that people wanted to live in. It gave you glimpses of the Star Wars world that made people fantasize about what else was there and what life would be like there. And those glimpses weren't plot relevant. They were just kind of part of the setting. Like this happened a lot in the first movie in, in Mos Eisley Cantina, there was a lot of attention to details that just like, you know, they, they, didn't really need to be there but they enhanced the story a lot in the second movie like darth Vader could have just been like we need a bounty hunter get me boba fett he's the best something dumb like that like something that just tells you the audience that boba fett is like competent and scary but instead you see like half a dozen bounty hunters all of them really unique one of them's a droid you don't get any other names and you just watch as boba fett turns out to be the one clever enough to track down the falcon and like his entire character gets built up out of like two lines of dialogue and cool looking armor. <laughs> While the other bounty hunters never show up again because they don't need to. They're part of a bigger world than just the one the film shows us. And those sorts of things, they're what make people really fall in love with a world and want to write fan fiction of it or buy extended universe books, or create tabletop RPGs or video games for it, and that sort of thing is what Worth the Candle has massive amounts of. Fanfiction of ARB that focuses on Juniper is hard, it's not impossible, like, people have already done it, but fanfiction of ARB that focuses on someone else would be really, really easy, given how much of the world you've fleshed out and given those tantalizing glimpses of without going into too much detail.
1: Yeah, and, and where people go wrong a lot is in in writing like expansions is that they just they want to they want to drill down into every single thing instead of making up mm. new stuff which is which is maddening it's just like that's that's not we we don't need an explanation for every single thing that happened we we don't want that it we want new stuff that is like in the same flavor right it's, it's it drives me nuts with Star Wars, especially because it's
2: <laughs> because all all the movies that start going into like how Han got his name yeah and like the dice and, and like how did notice. how did
1: Lando get his jacket and like why does Han Solo wear a vest? It's like no, just show me show me new. I, I understand the draw of you know having Han Solo in a movie. It's that people already love Han Solo, but I I, I don't need to, to see him do the Kessel Run. I don't need to understand the origin yeah. of every single thing. Yeah, it's I don't know. Sometimes I. People will give me either advice on writing or they'll ask for things. I'm just like, you just don't, you don't know what you want or you, do, <laughs> you don't know how to write.
2: <laughs> I'm sorry, but. Or the thing that they want is just different from the thing that you want. Like there's a lot of people who, yes. who, who will say things about Stephen King's writing that I'm like, well, you know, I'm glad that we're both fans of Stephen King, but it, like clearly the things that I enjoy about Stephen King are not the same things you do because I love the stuff that he does uh, that isn't always great, right? Like the extended version of The Stand is like, I, I don't know what I would have done if I had not encountered serial fiction at some point. HPMR was the first story that I read online and that, that opened me up to like write, uh, fan fiction and and like serial fiction in general. But like the idea that you couldn't, you, you can't really for understandable reasons, write as much as you as you want in physical book form really holds back a lot of types of stories and types of worlds. And like the beauty of being able to do like people are, I think people are just slow to adapt what they expect and what they, what they're used to, to the medium of, of online writing. Yeah. And I actually think that
1: part of the, I I guess I'm going to call it a resurgence of like serial fiction, not just like web Mm -hmm. stuff, but like so many books now are book series. Right. And I think part of that is that people just like, Things to go on really long, like people just enjoy—they enjoy the familiarity of that. It's—it's a can be a comforting thing, and not just in that you like know what you're getting. But i I don't know. I I think that uh, like expanded universes and cinematic universes stuff kind of get a a bad rap because they're done poorly so often. But I think a lot of it is understandable, I guess, Mm -hmm. um, just Mm
2: -hmm. in terms of human psychology. Um, I mean, this is what made comics so so. Uh, this is what made Western comics so uh, popular. Yeah, uh, is that they were able to just go on for fucking ever. Yeah, um, and like branch out in as many different directions as people wanted to go in and stuff.
1: Yeah, and I, I definitely wanted that feeling for for *Worth the Candle*. And it's one of the things that I think is the primary benefit of writing serial fiction online is that you can just you can just have have that sprawl. Like, I don't think that sprawl is. A bad thing. I think that filler is a bad thing, and I think that recycling old material as new material is a bad thing. I think there's a lot of ways that people do sprawl that is bad, but I don't think sprawl by itself. I think that's the that's like the primary reason to read serial fiction is so that you can be out in this world.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it is fair to note that skill of the author is a, is a big thing here, right? I mean, yeah, you show even in this story. Not only have you have you written very good short shorter fiction already very like tightly paced and, and plotted fiction but like you show even in this story that there can be story arcs that are very tightly paced and plotted and so like the ability to have those within a, a wider world is part of what makes the story to me so enjoyable it's if it was all sprawl and all flow like just like going on forever i've heard i've heard of stories like this that i haven't actually read like um I hear, I hear this level that uh, wandering in every so often and like I haven't read it so I, I, I can't I, I can't speak to I it read something. I read some of it and I hear
1: a lot about it. I have a discord server and I, people talk about it every once in a while and I I, I do think that it is I mean it's, it's a, it is a extreme it's I think the longest current web serial probably it's it's you know it's like eight times the length of Work the candle or something ridiculous like that it's it the the word output on it is very impressive but it it also i think deals I, I i don't have the time to read it but i think that it deals with the like narrative cycles in its own ways and one of the ways that you can deal with that is is by switching um point of view which i know the wandering mm-hmm. in does that and you can have sort of self-contained other stories, and it doesn't all have to be. I don't know. There's there's lots of ways that that sprawl can happen, and there's lots of ways that that people deal with it. I guess it's the the one thing that I did not do very much of in Worth the Candle is is switch viewpoints. There there are right. like very very few viewpoint switch chapters, and they're uh, I want to say like with two exceptions, they're members of the main cast. And then and then you don't get a viewpoint switch for, you know, the whole rest of the book. I think I think it I, I didn't I didn't like intentionally limit myself to some certain number, but um it was one of the ways that I knew I could sprawl if I needed to, that I didn't want to do because I think it slows down things too much and it, it kind of Right. You end up kind of with this branching structure and it the, the branches can get too much, but it is one of the ways that that you can can sprawl. Um, I, I think I had someone ask, like, how do you fit, how do you do, like, one character, how do you stretch a character arc out over a million words, right? And the, a lot of authors have different answers to it, and one of the answers is you don't have one character arc, you have ten character arcs. Right. And that can be one character doing ten arcs, or it can be ten characters doing one arc each. And and then, the, like, each one is super slow, and you're, you're not getting the culminations of them until, like, the end, I guess.
2: Yeah, the... um the fantasy series that I co-write with with a friend of mine. Uh, there's like nine novels in the series at this point, mostly following four characters, two, uh, like two pairs of two, uh, and they're like set in the same world, and they and they follow you know one pair at a time more or less, but there's those characters in, in common between them. And switching from one character arc on one character, then to another character arc on another character, then to another character arc on another character, and so on, uh, it gives the it gives the story a lot of room to grow in different directions. Uh, like there's a there's like an overarching plot for like both of them, uh, and then there's like a you know a meta overarching plot, but like you can't essentially the re- refresh rate on the story becomes much much higher the more different characters you you want to treat as the as the main character and in a story like worth the candle when you've got a narrator right who more or less like all the most important stuff happens to him right i like it's very rare that you would really need to go to the other characters' perspectives uh with a few exceptions like the ones that you that you that you did take advantage of you get this, you get this ability to also like open up other possibilities for other kinds of stories that like could be written, not even necessarily by you, which Mm -hmm. I think is also interesting. Yeah. Like if you, if you ever wanted to, to uh, come back to the worth of candle world and just like go into like what Raven was up to. Yeah. It's like, there's a whole extra story that could be told because she was so, so like, late to the party and so much of an outsider and like, well, what what's the, um, before it got canceled, Stephanie Myers did this for Twilight. She, she wrote a, a book from Edwards perspective that was leaked online. And like, she, so she canceled the, the publishing of the book. Yeah. Which is really unfortunate because I, I, I read it and it was actually better than Twilight was by far because the main character is way more interesting. And yeah. So, so don't let anyone tell you that you didn't show a straight with the candle.
1: Yeah, one of the things I really tried to do actually with Work the Candle was to have as many like tossed off stories and ideas packed in as I could, so that like so you would get so many things that are where you're like where you're like, man,
2: this could be, yep, this could be its own book. And oh man, I have I have a question about Other June that's coming up later. but I might as well just ask it now. Like Other June is just begging for like a like an alternate series, right? Yeah. Like,
1: I, I really wanted that, I really wanted that, like, him to just, like, show up at some point and have been off doing his own stuff and, and like, to be a reflection on or, like, a foil to Juniper and and to, to have been his own, like, guy... <laughs> is doing stuff that's totally irrelevant to the plot. <laughs> <laughs> that was
2: like, that was one of the funniest parts of the book for me. Where it's just like, oh yeah, he's been off saving the world in his own corner, but none of it, none of it really matters because you, you, actually just saved everything like more permanently.
1: Yeah, but I, I, I think that is a great punchline to that that final chapter, like before the epilogues. I I think that it, that and meeting Fen in heaven. I think those those right. help to loving it a little bit
2: and it didn't need to be a punchline it could have been that he was he was like holding the stuff together on that side right if this was like a video game or something and it was this that's the way i would have preferred to be done right where like the people i mean video games in general just do a really bad job of of making use of characters that aren't in your immediate party yeah like you know other june could have been there like holding Holding back the other side from like flooding the world and, and and making everything much more complicated and worse. But it works in this context because like <laughs> you just forget like like as a reader like I, I didn't really think about what happened to other dude that much. Like he's brought up once in a while, but like you don't really think about it. And then it's just like oh yeah, that's been going on this whole time.
1: Yeah. And I th- if I ever had to write a sequel to *Worth the Candle*, it would be from his perspective, I think. Mm-hmm. But the problem with that is that. Like you already know how it ends, right. which is that all of this is just like pointless and doesn't contribute to actually saving the world. Like none of the stakes are are real and stuff. I, I don't know. But I, I do I do sometimes think about, about like, I don't know. There there are a lot of things that are are tossed off in Work the Candle to 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 like be in a single scene that I thought I could write like a whole novel on.
2: You want to name a few more?
1: The So the maze people oh, yeah. in oh, yeah. the long stairs, I was like, oh, I could, I could for sure do like at least a novel, like maybe a whole like young adult trilogy series about people who just live in an enormous maze and are never in a space that has like that, that is wider than like 20 feet. <laughs> I thought that would be interesting in a lot of ways. I, there's a lot of like campaign settings, that for like alternate June had one where it's everyone lives on the back of a giant bird and a different one, like where the world is a desert that Mm -hmm. only has these magical wells that, and that's like the only way that anyone can live on this world. A lot of this species stuff, I was like, like I could anchor the character to this. I think there's wood magic, especially I, I, I just thought, you know, this, this could be like the centerpiece of a fantasy novel.
2: But not know what it was called. But that town with the two, the two towers. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah.
1: And there's there's a lot of stuff that I that feels underused because of that approach. But I think it it does help to have like a kind of richness that it seems like there's a story hiding under every rock because there is. You know, the, like a lot of the times I I will just spend like you know like five or ten minutes to try to plot out what that would look like. One of the things I always did for um used to run a weekly and then biweekly, and then monthly like writing challenge on uh, our rational subreddit. I, I don't remember exactly how often it was, but I, I used to do that. And every time I wrote a prompt for that, I would try to see if I could think up three stories that I would write using that prompt. And I think that helped a lot in terms of like trying to come mm-hmm. up with stuff that could potentially ha- have, a, have stories hidden, hidden in places or have, have stories suggested that, you're only getting a peek at because I think that's part of the flavor of of *Worth the Candle* is to have so much so much story suggested to you and to just kind of have to breeze by it because like the whole world is like that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I do think that that's also one thing that annoys people. That's that's one of the reasons authors don't do it more often. Also because it can be like hard creative work sometimes. But that if you if you bring all this stuff up, like some things are are going to seem like they were going somewhere and you know, they're just there for flavor, right? Right. That people can find that frustrating, which is,
2: you know, different strokes.
1: Yeah. So one of the things that we talk about every once in a while is like signaling and how to signal what kind of story your story is and how to do that as quickly and efficiently as possible. And then just drive off all the people who are not reading your story for the right reasons. (laughs)
2: <laughs> or oh, more charitably to let people know that this is not the story for them. Yeah. Well, cause it like those people are going to have their
1: hearts broken. <laughs> right. Yeah. If, if, if it's like a, a million words later and I mean, not that I'm giving advice exclusively for people who want to write a web serial, that's more than a million words, but like, you don't want people to, to go through and just be like, well, that was a whole huge waste of my time. I, so I, I have at the time of this recording, Released the first three chapters of my next thing, which is this used to be about dungeons.
2: You, you are I, signaling very hard. I'm I'm this, trying to signal this...
1: very hard that this is not like a super right. plot heavy thing. That it, you know, is not going to be try to like ascend to godhood through raiding dungeons or or whatever. Have you Have you seen Made in Abyss? I saw the first part of it. If I, first couple episodes, I don't think I finished it. I think it was yeah, during a time I was watching a lot of anime, and I
2: was really easily distracted i haven't I haven't started this used to be about dungeons from the signaling that you did. I read the the comment in the in the in the rational post. I was like, okay, so it it seems like made in abyss, but if you didn't actually care about the abyss itself that much right if like the abyss and like journeying into the abyss wasn't the actual focus of the story it's more about the world that grows up the city the city and society that grows up around the abyss yeah and and i i think that worth the candle doesn't
1: do a super great job of signaling what kind of story it is Mm -hmm. it doesn't i think it does a better job than a lot of readers i don't know i think a lot of readers will will you know see lit rpg and just think it's going to be uh, numbers go up because that's what well, so many power
2: fantasy is what this, yeah. this is this is why in my defense I sometimes describe it as uh, isekai done done well like it's it's not just a power fantasy in so many ways like there there's like different axes along which it it subverts the power fantasy while still I argue giving it a some like genuine moments of like power fantasy thrill so yes. like oh, best of all worlds in my in my perspective
1: um but a lot of people get dissatisfied when it there's a lot that Worth the Candle does that is frustrating to some people because it it is it blends genres and it does to some extent deconstruction. I think I think that if you like Worth the Candle you probably really like it. Right? I think that it for some people it's just like it's it just matches their preferences really well and i think for other people especially people who come in just for power fantasy i don't have anything against power fantasy i mean i i think that if you read worth a candle you might come on and be like oh this guy hates (laughs) he hates numbers go up and he hates power i i don't i don't hate that stuff i i read it every once in a while i I was actually watching an anime a couple nights ago I, i found the anime itself really insulting but i was like i could you know watch a better version of this it was darwin's game
2: yeah i haven't haven't, haven't watched it it yet, showed
1: but... up it, it showed up on netflix and it it was just like oh you accidentally like logged into a gotcha game on your phone and now you're like playing in real life and and everyone has a special power and it's just this like totally normal high school student and just like a super badass girl who's like one of the best players but he manages to beat her and then she's like oh i'm so in love with you and i'm like wow yeah,
2: Sword of online for two i guess
1: yeah so yeah right there's there's the, i don't think there's anything wrong with that i just think a lot of it's poorly done but also worth the candle is not it has some elements of that but there's it, there's there's too much depression and anxiety and complexity for the people who just want a straight power fantasy and and the, the problem for them, I think, is that they get some of it, and then they also have all this other stuff that they do not want at all.
2: Yeah, it's not just that there's other stuff, quote-unquote, in the way, or, like, added on or something. At at least two occasions, Juniper actually feels genuinely happy yeah. with his time on
1: Arb. I, I say Arb, and that's what it'll be in the audiobook, <laughs> so... <laughs>
2: okay. Uh, he, he, he there, there are a few occasions uh, that he seems genuinely happy with his time on in the indie, indie fan, power fantasy sense, not just like having fun with like fan or something like that. And like, that is when he fights Onion and immediately afterward, like doesn't even get a chance to savor the victory and the puns that he made. Like Raven just, just straight up tells him like, Hey, you're having too much fun with this. This is not, this is not a good one. Yeah. And like, that's gotta be, yeah really frustrating for people who are like, I just want a power fa- a guilt free power fantasy man. why do you keep pointing out the way that i you know the white why why do you keep pointing out that it's bad to kill goons and like the like killing faceless goons is not actually morally acceptable like like that but that's that is what makes worth the candle amazing to me yeah I don't know what what other thing you can do to signal this other than to just like have it happen the first time and have people be like, okay, this is more than just a power fantasy. And if they keep reading past, then honestly, it's just it's on them.
1: Yeah. And I, I do think it's on them, but it's also like you To some extent as a creator, you have to reckon with those people because they will be like leaving you reviews and comments and they'll be talking about your story. And yeah. it does kind of suck to just, like, be trying to do something that's not that and to just have no way of being like, hey, man, if if that is what you are here for, you should just duck out now. And I have said that to people.
2: Yeah. I mean, you'd know better than me. Is is there a lot of hatred for the candle? It's, it's
1: every once in a while. Uh, from, Royal Road is not a great place, but... Gotcha. Uh, every once in a while. I, I don't actually read the reviews or comments there just because I... I have, a, I have a fairly strong negativity bias and so I if I see something that is like one negative comment to me is like will outweigh 10 positive ones you know
2: well then I all I can say to that honestly is that uh, I admire you even more for finishing it in that case yeah I mean I I you know I, I mostly sit in our rational and and if you know I don't I don't often read comments on 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 the sites that like like practical guide to evil I rarely read the comments on the on the actual uh, website. That show up underneath the the chapters. Mm. Same with like Worm and stuff like that. And I consider it to be obviously a very good story. And if if negative feedback was at any point a a danger of, of getting you to slow down or stop the story, then I, I fully endorse ignoring negative feedback in that yeah. case.
1: So I I don't read reviews on Royal Road. I don't read comments on Royal Road. I don't. I have I have almost two thousand unread comments on Archive of Our Own. <laughs> yeah I don't I don't read those at all it it because I first of all there's like a ton of it and it's a waste of my time for the most part it's it's good to engage with an audience it's good to know what people are saying but Mm -hmm. a lot of the stuff I got on Royal Road is just like uh, very um I don't want to say political but it's like incel talk I guess (laughs) it's like like people that are like june is an sjw cuck and i'm just like oh god yeah uh, i'm like okay like you know like uh-huh. like those kind of comments are are very I, I obviously i think that they are like misguided and unfair but i it's it's one of those things where a lot of a lot of the a lot of the negative stuff that i for the most part did not read um it had had that kind of feel to it like like people are are coming to web fiction of all things for their you know the stuff that for the the power fantasy stuff and for the you know the fulfillment that they're not getting from their life and i don't know it's 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 weird to get accused of like pushing an agenda because i never feel like that's what i'm doing i feel like if i was actually trying to push an agenda i would do it in a much different way you know like and I feel like when oh, I, yeah. see I mean
2: <laughs> like like you, you very clearly are happy to like point at an Aesop and like spend, you know, like ten ten chapters like exploring it, right? If you wanted to do that for something that I mean, imagine if you you know if people are complaining about things like SJW shit, what like like that that very clearly would have been much more central to the story. Uh, right like like you could have made an exclusion zone about uh about it or something right yeah no there there
1: is absolutely like a focus that you can put on this this stuff that people hate and I I felt like I, I didn't do that focus because I don't really care that much about it like I care about the relationships between people and I care about interrogating ideas but for me it's always interrogating an idea and maybe sometimes, you know, coming down more on one side than the other, because I think one side has more of a point than the other. And it should not be a huge surprise to anyone. I lean left on most things. I, I I don't know. it's it's kind of one of those interesting things of your audience sometimes just not matching what you're trying to do with the with the work. And yeah, i I do find find that makes writing harder, and that's part of why I don't read comments. Yeah, and and you know I have I have a Discord and I I do read the comments on r slash rational, but archive of our own is just is those are not my people, <laughs> and Royal Road those are also definitely not my people for the most part. You know, I mean, obviously anyone can use the website, but there's there's kind of a culture that builds up with a lot of people who are all reading the same thing and are all reading the same comments and are part of the commentariat. I think there's, there can be like cultural things. I always try to just write for myself, right. To think like, what, what do I think is cool? And what, what do I want to read? And the great thing is that in like three or four years, I can come back to worth the candle and like read it, start to finish. I I have a terrible memory, by the way, (laughs) but I, I will remember some of it, but it'll be like a custom written novel for
0: me you know
2: right? it's the most important thing i think that i uh have gotten from people in general that are that are like writers that i admire and with what they, what they when they talk about writing is that they write for themselves first that's certainly how it's always been for me since the beginning i mean i, I my first story ever was a self insert fan fiction into um jeremy thatcher dragon hatcher mm. which is a book i read in fourth grade and like yeah it, it, it is ultimately valuable i think to get feedback about your stories and and incorporate negative feedback uh when it makes sense to if you know what you want to write and you're a good writer and you know that you're a good writer it doesn't really matter uh what other people say yeah yeah and that
1: can be that can be difficult at points especially if people don't like (laughs) the things that you like Uh well i don't know it's it's hard to know if you're part of a selection effect right
2: well the beautiful thing about it is that you're you're writing original fiction and like it's not like you writing Worth the Candle reduces the amount of, for lack of a better word, low-effort power fantasy fiction out there. Yeah. So, like, yeah. you know, if like I I have beef with uh, the Pokemon company because their monopoly on the Pokemon franchise uh, keeps people from being able to write actual, mature, interesting, thought-out uh, Pokemon stories. Yeah.
1: My advice is, is just, like, write for yourself, but I don't know if I'm suffering from Selection Effect, where I wrote for myself and it worked out well for me, but, like, maybe yourself...
2: Well, the alternative, the alternative is someone who's writing for, for publication, right? Someone who's specifically writing right. to to get another Fifty Shades of Grey or or whatever, like an like just like churn out another uh, mass mass selling um, thing. And like you know, if that works for you, if that if that's your goal, I, I, you know, I don't want to like be the one telling you not to chase you know millions of dollars <laughs> and like like worldwide success or anything. But I don't write erotic fiction for other people. And I could, and I could make a lot more money doing so than, than writing yeah. what I have, what I have written over the past you know, 15 years yeah. of writing.
1: There's so much, there's so much money, you know, yeah, there is, <laughs> and it is, it is crazy to me. I have, <laughs> I have thought about it. It's just not. Yeah,
2: and, and the thing <laughs> is, because I, I do write it, I just write it for myself and the people who I write with. So like, yeah. it's, it's just a choice of, of what, what matters to me to put out into the world and, and create more for most of my effort. Yeah. So I have some questions about things like degenerative cycles. I made a comment about, or a post about this, where I think, for me, one of the quote-unquote lingering questions is degenerative cycles was not, for lack of a better word, answered, right? You brought up this really valuable, interesting, and, like, hard question about, like, what do you do with stories, with characters who just go on forever? At some point, you, you just kind of have to stop because, like, you like power creep has gone on too long or you've started doing some like you know retcon stuff to make things make sense or keep things interesting or like exclusions or something like that happens uh, like the character if, if they didn't know they were in a story eventually it ceases to be believable that this one person is just the, this is the center of the attention in the universe for decades at a time right i think i, I can't think of a story where someone was like consistently the hero of the world for, for so long and didn't re- like you know didn't recognize that like, something is weird something weird's going on here
1: yeah or they like they should have um right I think, right i think part of it is so I, I i do think you can do it with um like detective stories and stuff because oh, yeah. Yeah. i i mean like okay detective stories very often have a problem with realism same with like legal stories but the problem that they are confronting does not have any character growth or doesn't need character growth. So you're not limited by character growth. You're not limited by like Law and Order can go on forever. Um it's just a certain sort of narrative that suffers more from degenerate cycles. I I mean I all Law and Order also suffers from there not always being something new and unique. Like eventually they're gonna be repeating Yeah,
2: stuff I was gonna and, say it may not be the same problems, but I think it's a different set of problems if you if you aren't in a in a repetitive uh, serial format Mm -hmm. i i think that
1: there are answers to it it's just that they they all come with trade-offs and Mm -hmm. there's no full answer to it because even if you employ all these tricks eventually you're gonna run into the wall i do think that the wall is further than most people think and for most authors like potentially you could keep going your whole life but it's hard, it's hard to, it, if someone asked me to write a like 14 book series, like Worth the Candle is already like, it's going to be for the ebooks, I think it's, it's going to be split into eight books of 200,000 words. And I don't think it repeats itself very much. I don't think that it, that that it hits the same beats very much. And I don't think that the character growth stuff gets too, too stretched out, nor does the like backstory get I mean, because because that's one of the, one one of the aspects of continuity cruft is that you eventually just keep adding on to a person's backstory as well as right. their own story, and then it's it becomes less and less believable each time if you haven't planned things out. Uh, one of the things I did for, uh, I don't uh, I don't know that this used to be about dungeons this is going to be a long runner, but I tried to plan things out so that it could be if I needed it to be or if I wanted it to be. And one of the things I tried to do was to just be like, hey. So here is, like, the first layer of the onion, and here's the next three layers. And this is all going to be in the background, and um, we have ways of bringing it into the story. I think that's the the first thing for degenerate cycles, to the first answer to it, is to just try to have a lot of meat there so that you're not, like... Right. When you're trying to get all the meat off the bone, you have a lot of meat before you start hitting bone. The other answer is multiple characters, I think, helps a lot, and multiple kind of stories. Like, you can hand a story off from, like...
2: Oh, yeah. Generational stories.
1: Yeah. Yeah, generational stories. Another trick is that uh, you can move to a new location. Eventually, yeah, power creep is a big thing to look out for. It's a big thing that I am... I was very cognizant of it in Work the Candle, and I'm not sure it's handled quite right, but especially at the beginning, I was thinking, like, okay, we got to be thinking about where this leaves us in, like hundred thousand words the the like opening powers cannot be like shouldn't be used later down the line because you want it you want to allow yourself room to scope creep and i think to, to like effectively power creep because if you if you go straight to the top the problem with power creep is that if you do these big jumps then you have to keep going higher and higher right you you, you don't want to jump up in power right away. You wanted it to be small incremental increases in power, which is, I mean, the, there are drawbacks to that, obviously, which is that the large increases in power are thrilling and provide something new. But I, I don't know. It, it It is one of the things that I think is maybe a little bit wonky about Worth the Candle in terms of like powers. Cause like I had always wanted to do the, the long stairs as a, de-escalation
2: depowering yeah
1: yeah Yeah, as 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 kind of a reverse of what came before it where all these magics are being lost all this power is being lost and all these companions are being lost and eventually it's just like like going back to the beginning right
2: i mean you 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 built in a mechanism that i think is (laughs) amazing
1: which is
0: exclu- exclusions,
2: right?
1: Yeah, and I think exclusions are are one way to handle it is to do a depowering. But yeah, I think there's a lot of a lot of ways to keep something fresh. It's just the problem is that in keeping it fresh, you're gonna have to change things, and that can kill a story pretty quickly. Like changing locations is very very dangerous if because location yeah. is kind of a character too. Uh, the, uh, so the altered carbon series is based on the takeshi kovacs novels and each one is very different from the one that came before it and for the second season of the tv show they didn't move locations (laughs) and i was so disappointed because i was like okay so they're gonna they're gonna adapt like book two now right and they did not adapt book two they they they're just like well Let's just do more of what we did that was successful in the first season. I was just like, why, why do that? Especially if you have the material there. But it's because it's very risky to do that. It's very risky to... Um, change too much. Well, I mean, you know... Okay, you don't have to introduce new characters if you change settings, but you probably should. But that's one of the ways to avoid narrative cycles is you... You know, Uther had the same seven companions through, like... 30 years or so that would be one way to keep it fresh is just to kill one of them bring a new one in
2: this is this is what i was gonna ask right which is like the quote-unquote the dm was was like more dedicated to trying to keep uther's interest <laughs> probably more things that could have been done right could have sent him to the other side permanently for lack of a better word right and like well like had had like another main character show up and like have uther like have like a real rival in the world like there's like more that could have been done at some point but like the question is whether or not uther would have still stayed interested in the world when once the curtain is peeled back right once he knows that like the narrative exists and he and he is a plaything uh so to speak of of like a a higher power yeah and that to me is an interesting challenge for for lack of a better word god to have to struggle with when they're uh, envisioning when they're envisioning Eternity and utopia and 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 creating. Uh, so that's that's one of the reasons why I thought this was like a a thing that might get get like kind of like passed on to Juniper as like a okay you're God now you have to make this you know make heaven for everyone that, that you keep saying you want to do. Good luck keeping them happy forever kind of thing. Yeah. Which by the way, I mean I absolutely love the the epilogues. They are probably my favorite. Um, not probably. They are my favorite representation of heaven looks like in in any media so far. I think you know everything that I was frustrated about the good place. Good Place is an amazing show. I don't want to. I don't want to down talk the Good Place. Nine point seven out of ten. You know, it's it's a really really good TV show. Yeah. But the frustrations that I had with with the Good Place are all satisfied and like addressed by your your representation of of what internal utopia would be. Yeah. But yeah, there there could still be a question left over about like what what happens eventually.
1: Yeah, and it's one of the things that you know I don't have a great answer to. Like over the course of eternity, right? Obviously, for like Uther. Part of the story for him was was going to other places and having different adventures and like trying to hit every angle on a story that you could. So so you don't just like there there are um, disjoint planes that are mentioned like I don't know twice in <laughs> *Worth the Candle* that are mm-hmm. basically yep. the outer realms or whatever of Dungeons and Dragons, where each is a, like a different world with different physics or has like a high concept place. So you do stuff like that, and the only things that aren't done to to prevent degenerate cycles are to replace cast members for Uther. It's, it's always, right. it is always the same companions, and there are other cast members who come in and go, especially love interests, but it's just those same people. I think that over the course of eternity... The problem is you're just talking about such a, a long, long time. I think that for me... Um so I I went up to a a park with my son today. Um and we walked the same trails that we've walked probably like 20 times now mm-hmm. and I still take enjoyment from that. The big argument against eternity from the like staying entertained aspect of it is is the novelty. And so the not there like there's no novelty in us going on these same trails, right? But I was walking and I was thinking, and it's it's partly just about allowing yourself to feel like a tourist. That's one of the th- things I think about a lot. I live in a, it's not really a tourist city, but a little bit it is. We get tourists in uh-huh. quite a bit in the, in the summer. They want to see our city and see the sights and stuff. And I always go out with them. I always go and spend at least a few days being a tourist and looking at these things that it is so easy to be numb to or to just take for granted or to have blinders on. So I think I think when I think about Eternity, I think, you know, maybe it's fine to just like watch the same movie again and just take joy from it, even though you've seen it a bunch of times before, you know? Uh, but it's also, you know, if you have full mind editing, you can just remove your hedonic treadmills.
2: Right. And also the dives are a huge thing. Yeah. Being able to not only experience other worlds or situations, but like temporarily wiping your memory to relive entire lives that provide really novel experiences that no amount of added adventures would if you kept the same memories. Like one thing that I, since I was, like, young, I think I was, like, 16 when I first thought this or something, I, I remember, like, genuinely grieving the fact that I just would never have a sister, right? Like, yeah. you know, my parents were divorced when I was fairly young. So, like, sure, at some point, I guess, like, my parents could, like, adopt a sister when I was already in high school, but that wouldn't that wouldn't be the same. Like, I just would not know what it was like to grow up and have a sister uh, or, for that matter, grow up and have a younger sibling. Like, I would never know what it was like to be an older sibling and, like, and, like have that, that childhood. And, like, things like that are things I think about fairly often in terms of, like, all the different experiences and life lives that you just don't get to have, even the, for lack of a better phrase, relatively terrible ones, like growing up in like a really poor city in, in India or something. Like it's not, it's not like these are things that people would necessarily want to live if, if that was the only life they could live, but the ability to live them and have those experiences added to your own in a genuinely like new way, I think is is something that's, that's greatly underestimated about what, it, what, what could keep eternity interesting.
1: Yeah. I, I think that, a lot of it's just down to, like, what is, like, novelty within the brain,
0: mm-hmm. you know?
1: And I think so many people are just like, oh, man, hundred years, and I'd just be done. I'm like, a hundred years? Are you serious? Because, like, I don't know. I, I really deliberately try to take joy in life. Yeah. I think that's part of the mindset that you would need to cultivate, to just go out and enjoy a pleasant summer day and not think, man, this is, like, the 300th pleasant summer day i've had i and i think that's hard for some people especially modern culture where you have so many new experiences and novelty is so much a part of our happiness right i, I go to I, I go to the library sometimes and there's just so many books and i think we didn't used to have right this right we didn't we didn't used to be so spoiled for choice where right you know, I could read a new book every day and I would not be keeping up with the publication of And not
2: and not just books. Yeah. Like video games used to be like, oh a new video game's coming out like every every month, maybe. I can go to Steam right now and probably find genuinely a hundred games that I would actually enjoy playing that I will just never have time to play. Yeah. Like right, like barring prior preservation slash positive singularity like i'm just not gonna have time to play all the games in the world that already exist yeah and it gets into this weird loop where like you get to a eternity where other people are also there and creating new things and get to experiencing and it's like yeah 100 years is is man i i feel i feel like they just they just have to be people who don't who don't enjoy vicarious experiences or something i don't know i don't know Some people
1: also just like don't enjoy living that much yeah. But for, for some people, novelty is like the primary thing in giving them happiness in their life, which I think is kind of sad and like not how we should as humans be. But I I understand why it's so common. But I, I am relatively privileged in where I get my happiness from. Like I can get my happiness from writing and I try to cultivate a mindset where I can enjoy things again, even if they're not, even if I wouldn't call them novel.
2: Yeah. Personal growth is also, I think, a, an unexplored part. Of so, so they have the ability now to edit themselves, right, and worth the candle. Now that, that everything's in in the utopia, but like I think sometimes about how long it would take for me and how much else I would have to experience to genuinely become my ideal self, right? I still make mistakes. I still fuck up pretty badly sometimes in ways that like make me ashamed and like think like, oh, how the fuck did I do that? Like, why did I do that? Like, I still, I still feel like I am not only like a far way off from how I used to be, but a far way off from where I want to be. And like, sure, it's possible that like after just a thousand years, I will genuinely become like my ideal self and have no more character growth and personal growth to experience. But but I doubt it, right? Like, yeah. I don't know, maybe maybe after a thousand years ago, but like maybe my concept of like how quote unquote good I can become after a thousand years will also change.
1: Well, and it's also like, uh, do you need growth? Do you need constant growth? That's like the fucked up thing about our economy, right? <laughs> is that it's <laughs> it is built around this concept that you always must be growing and if you are not growing you are dying right i and i don't i don't subscribe to that the funny thing about these epilogues and i knew going in that it was going to be not a problem but one aspect of them is people have so many different ideas about right i mean this is built into the story you you yeah
2: you you point this out Yeah. yeah
1: it's 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 built into the epilogues themselves and i i guess some people are like, my specific thing wasn't addressed, which is whatever. Um, but
2: you know, like <laughs> please write another <laughs> please write another million words on heavens, please. Yeah. We will we will happily read them just to address every single person's idea of what heaven looks like.
1: Yeah. So uh, Sigmund Freud wrote Civilization and its discontents, and I I really did want to have like just a whole a whole big thing that was heaven and its discontents and like all the ways in which people thought that this mm-hmm. specific heaven was inadequate or was a form of hell or a dystopia or something, which I understand. Like I, I understood that going in, people have different philosophical intuitions. They, they understand meaning and um, and agency in different ways. Like someone, you know, was like, Hey, th- there's no risk in this heaven. I'm like, well, you can have risk. Like you just need to ask for it. And they're like, well, that's not actually true risk. And I was like, well, I, I don't, believe that to be true about risk we have just a philosophically different understanding of risk like because under that definition of risk if i go to a casino and i bet a thousand dollars on a hand of poker that is not considered risk right so the whole thing is like people have these different morals and philosophies and stuff we should probably actually do an episode on utopias at some point um but yeah, one of the, one of the things is that people people I think there's someone in my Discord right at this very moment arguing that that it is a form of hell with no meaning and and oh, no yeah, growth. I saw,
2: I saw a comment like um, on on actual Yeah,
1: which which I, I I understand. Like I obviously part of my part of what I wanted to get out of these epilogues is that no utopia is perfect. There are always going to be people who either are creating their own happiness or who are unhappy within within these circumstances, just because, you know, there are trade-offs involved. There are inevitable trade-offs involved in in what makes people happy, you know? But, I, I don't know, it's it's one of the things that I, for myself, I think that I would be fine to stop growing. And I would be fine if there was no more novelty, so long as I would still continue to exist and continue to take pleasure in things. Like Like, I think that my life as I live it now includes a lot of that. It's not I mean I do like novelty, right? I I like doing things that I have not done before and especially for writing, I like writing things that I haven't seen done before. But a lot of my life is just is repetitive in some aspects, like I think people's lives tend to be, right? Like I cook I cook from a core repertoire of twenty dishes and I do add things to that repertoire, but you know I can't just be a person who takes pleasure only from adding something to the repertoire, you know?
2: I, Yeah, so so part of me definitely agrees with this in the sense that I am the kind of person who, when I find something that I like, uh, there's a phrase from some video I saw that, that put this perfectly. It's like, you order the same thing every time you go out. I order the right thing every time I go out. Yeah. If I if I find something that I like, I don't really need a reason to keep ordering it. Like I, I very rarely will of my own volition want to try new foods. Uh, if I if I find something I really enjoy. That said, to me, personal growth is actually something that I feel like is like vitally important. And like I think that's okay in the sense that like yeah, if we both had our own utopias, like I would just come and visit you where everything was mostly stable. Uh, and if you ever wanted something new, you could come visit mine.
1: Yeah, the whole the whole epilogue thing is is its own thing, and but it, but it does answer some of the questions I think that are core to the story, that or it, it like addresses some of the themes like trauma and like how we make our own happiness. Although you know, I I actually do suffer from bouts of actual like clinical depression, so mm-hmm. it it is always difficult to me to both think that we have to make our own happiness. And part of it is not like ruminating on things forever. Part of it is allowing ourselves happiness and like focusing on the positive. And the other part of me is like, you know, and also it's brain chemicals. And sometimes you just need to be on SS fries. Cause I believe that too. Right? Like that's the, that's one of the applicable metaphors of essentialism Mm -hmm. is, is self-modification and how uh, that's actually a good thing sometimes, even if it's scary. So I I, I I don't know but it's it's hard for, for me to just be like yeah we you got to you got to like focus on like being positive and stuff but that that doesn't actually help someone who is suffering clinical depression because that's not it's like a brain chemical thing it's not your fault for thinking bad thoughts or whatever
2: yeah for sure So speaking of novelty do you have a sense of where the most potential untapped value lies in things like sequels or sidequels or prequels or whatever quills that might be written you mean like fanfic or something? Yeah, fanfic. Fanfic is the main thing that I'm thinking of. Let's say someone wanted to make a <laughs> worth the candle RPG, assuming they didn't want you to do all the work <laughs> of like creating. Right. Are there things that you think would be really cool for other people to take on like that? Um, I think in terms of fanfic,
1: I I had a couple ideas on my. I have a, a word count spreadsheet, and I there's like a side stories thing, and I wrote a, I wrote down when I thought of them things that I thought that would be interesting side stories. Oh, one of the things I am not going to write, but that I thought would be super interesting, is a completely gender-bent version of the story, mm-hmm. so like female Juniper and and female Arthur and like uh, male Amaryllis and and stuff. I thought that would be very interesting if done well, but the if done well part is obviously because <laughs> <laughs> I think I, th- I I think that gender-bending stories are have the potential to be very interesting to me in what they can say about both gender and sort of, like, gendered aspects of a character.
2: It reveals stuff about the author, too. Yeah. I've tried this myself to help explore my, my own, like, uncovered, buried presumptions and things like that. It's really interesting.
1: Yeah, that's one that I thought would be super interesting. I'm not going to write it. I do think that there is probably... There's a race of people have, like, a shell on their back, mm-hmm. and they, they do, like, elaborate manicuring of it as, like, a grooming ritual or something, and it's been changing over time because people get more complicated mirrors and um like their different styles. and it's been been like substantially changed by advances in materials and whatever. Stor- stories like about those people, I think I think a lot of the a lot of the stuff that I thought I could write a whole novel on, I would love to see people write stories about that stuff. Um, I do think that'd be interesting to see different different takes on. Juniper or different takes on the story, especially. I, I do think it would be interesting to see a like pure social approach. I'm not sure. I think it'd be difficult to write, but I think it'd be interesting. I think a pure mental right off the bat might be interesting. I, I I do think there's probably you could probably write something interesting. I wouldn't have that much interest in reading it, and I don't really read fanfic because I I have trouble enough like remembering what's canon and what's not for something like worth the candle with, with how long it is. I don't. I just don't. I don't remember what I wrote and what was in a draft and didn't make it into the thing, and what was on like a planning spreadsheet somewhere. And
2: yeah, but, I mean, with, with how much world building you've done for it, uh, yeah, not surprising. Do you have a sense of like if you were approached to make a like a TV show or or movie series on this, would you be like, oh God, no, like no, I'm not going to watch you guys butcher this, or like would you be like,
1: I'd do it. I would do it because I think they'll sometimes turn out very interesting, even if they're not good. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they do turn out good, but I, th- I, would, I would be interested in seeing someone's take on it. There's, there are things that I would suggest doing differently for a TV series just because of runtimes and stuff. Like, uh-huh. I would keep, I would include the, fl- for a TV series, I'd include the flashbacks, but not reveal Arthur's death until, like, a number of episodes in. I would probably, I don't know, I think that, I think that's what, like, would be a good mystery for the audience
2: interesting i would see the arthur reveal kind of being the end of episode one assuming like a 60 minute yeah. runtime
1: yeah you you could do that i I think it it would depend i wouldn't want to i wouldn't want to write for a tv i would love <laughs> to write for a tv series i guess but and i would you wouldn't want to adapt this for a tv series well i just have, i have no experience in television so i i haven't like written spec scripts or anything like that
2: you've never written a script
1: i have never written a script no
2: Oh, it's fun. You should try it sometime. It's, 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 I mean, have you ever written uh, for comic, like a, like a, like a comic script, even?
1: I did try my hand at that because my agent was talking to me about some, he thought, he thought I'd do well with like a comic or something like that. So I I have, I have tried my hand at that now, but that's like within the past few months. I just, I've read scripts before. I, I love Mm -hmm. movies. I, I tend to think, in movies more than I think in books.
2: Yeah, a few things that you've that we've talked about before made me think that you you must enjoy writing scripts sometimes. But I'm surprised to hear that you haven't. I, I think you'd enjoy it.
1: Yeah, I might. <laughs> I, it's it's just it's it has never been something that I'm like I don't know. Especially with my son, I I have so little right downtime. Although he's he's starting kindergarten this year, so I, that might change, and I might find myself with a surplus of time and and a, a need to do something different. I don't know.
2: It's definitely a different skill set. Like, I, I don't think I'm as good. I mean, obviously, I haven't spent nearly as much time doing it. But, like, I don't think I'm as good writing a script as I am in novel form. But it's it's a different skill set and, like, it's a different perspective on on writing, which is interesting. Yeah. I could imagine Worth the Candle being a really good comic because, like, the comic format lets you visualize all the different crazy stuff that happens yeah. in really interesting ways. And if you have the opportunity to get the whole thing, like, edited and, and published and stuff like that, I don't know how you would feel about it in general, but yeah, that would be an interesting that would be an interesting direction for it to go in.
1: Yeah, I I think that there's a lot of interesting stuff you could do with a comic series or with uh, a movie or a TV show, and I, I I don't know how much of the meta stuff you would <laughs> you would keep in or you would change or or something. I might make that a more
2: the conversation with the DM at the end. Well, would be different, right? Because <laughs> Right, no, and that'd be funny, yeah. but, like,
1: to to have that as the very end... I, th- I think that I understand some people's dissatisfaction with the ending in that they wanted it to be both object-level and meta-level, and for them it didn't feel enough like it was doing both things. And I think, for right. me, the climax, in terms of, like, combat and stuff, is... Felseed round two, right, sure, yeah, and I think that that is I think felseed round one and round two are like interesting on their own, and i I like them as fight scenes, I don't like it as much as the onion fight, which is probably my favorite fight in the mm-hmm. work I, I like the Wrath fight too, or Momorath? I don't know how I pronounce that, but it doesn't matter we'll we'll yeah, we'll forget in five seconds anyway
2: Oh, uh the, the mentioned felseed brought up another question of mine, do you have? a reason why you why like obviously like he him dying and going in the hell diver thing and all that stuff makes sense uh but like why did felsey's first fight have to be a loss like why was it set in the story it's as, as like explicitly said as like you were you there was no way to win this especially since he didn't use the same strategy right like he comes up with a strategy in the second fight right that like makes sense to have worked that he just didn't think of the first time.
1: It's actually not that that he didn't think of it. It's that they didn't have enough time for it because they needed gotcha. to ex- like fully extract one of the bones and then have it stored in extra dimensional space so it could be touched. And I think and and which was done through the use of star magic by Doris's. I they either didn't have the time or the resources for it at the time.
2: I was thinking of uh, copying uh, using using the copy copied uh, like yeah 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 no. I actually
1: don't think it needed to be a loss the first time. I thought it was very yeah. appropriate for it to be the, a loss the first time, which is why I went and did that, but I, I did... I was at the point where everything was feeling a little bit
2: long, kind of. So, to be clear, I am not. I don't mean why did it have to be a loss. I mean, like, why did it have... Why did you feel like it had to be explicitly stated that he couldn't have won the first time? right? Why did it have to be that, like, the DM was, was cheating, and why was that, like, important or something?
1: Oh, just to mirror the actual seed instant, the violation of a creator against his creations
0: kind of. mm-hmm.
1: and the violation of the compact between the dungeon master and the players because the dungeon master is there to facilitate fun just in right. the same way that an author is there to facilitate fun or at least compellingness or whatever whatever
2: does that mean the dm was faking it in hell like was he like essentially just trying to prod juniper in a certain way
1: well it's so it's interesting because because when i read that passage of being in hell or especially when i wrote it for me that was more mm-hmm. like i actually literally do not like you right
0: mm-hmm.
1: and i care about you and like you are meaningful to me but i just really don't like you and i'm totally fine with you going through the suffering and to have that kind of punishment of the mm-hmm. of the past self or the self stand in cuz you know like i look back on myself at that age and i just think oh my god that dude what a, what a what a terrible person and i've i you know i've read a lot of stuff that i wrote at that age and i'm just like oh my god i just want to punch this guy right in his face and he's like so many like regrets and so many like things i don't like about who i was at that age and so some of the hell stuff comes from that and some of the punishment there. And the like, rubbing juniper's nose in comes from there, because the the reason that it it didn't have to be a loss, mm-hmm. but I and I and I, I I almost did skip out on the hell arc because I just
2: I mean I I imagined it was you knew it would be a difficult thing to write uh, on a personal level but I don't know how true that is yeah um no I I, I don't know I, if for for pacing
1: reasons and for just I the the hells do get gone through it a little bit fast but i just i didn't especially not if it's fell seed and then the hells right, and then right. fell seed I think, I think i would have needed a breather of fell seed and then like just take some time off for like 10 or 20 chapters with amaryllis then hells then fell seed that might have been fine for me but i, I also didn't want to do that because it's like so close to the right, end right. and i just wanted to get there and i do think it feels maybe a tad rushed because of that
2: i I don't mean to embarrass you and just keep going on about how much I love the story. Yeah. Uh, but honestly, like every time I read someone like criticizing some part of it, I'm like, you, I hate to be this guy to be like, Oh, you just didn't get, you didn't understand why I was so wonderful. <laughs> but like, I think, I think the whole like wrap up of like, Hey, we just need to go fight this final boss. Anything else we should take care of? No. Okay. Let's just, let's have a paragraph or a page each of like these meaningless quests, just in case it's like perfectly encapsulates that feeling of going through video games at that point. Like, right. I'm right. playing, Pillars of Eternity Deadfire right now. And like I know the end game is right there. And like I'm just going around doing all the other stuff because like why would I not do that before I finish the game? And what if there's a cool item in one of the like it's just it's it's rare to see this encapsulated so well. I think it is not worth losing that just for like the sake of what, what we would consider like yeah. generic better pacing.
1: Yeah, and I I think there's a lot to like there. I just I don't know. I sometimes think about like the story I didn't write and I think a lot of times when I am, especially looking back on something recent, mm-hmm. I think to myself, oh, like, if I had written this in a different way, it would have been a different story. And then in my head, that story is better because I didn't actually have to write it and have all the problems. I don't have to see all the problems that, you know, it would have caused and, and the changes. So it's kind of it's kind of hard in that sense. But yeah, I, I did think about skipping the Hell's Ark and I don't think it had to be there but I'm glad it was I think there was enough about that that I found worthwhile and, and interesting to go through the trouble of 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 doing it and a lot of the I don't know a lot of the dungeon master dialogue is just me talking to my past mm-hmm. self in some form or another obviously like a a past self that I don't care about or like that is not in some sense real to me That is real to me and is also not real to me in important ways, I guess. Right. Right. Because, like, obviously I wouldn't put a real person through that, but it it is still real in that I can see exactly how the responses go. It's also, like, really weird to me when people are like, oh, that's, like, out of character (laughs) for for any of the main cast. Because I'm just like, all right, well, like, I have been, (laughs) like, I know the characters better than you do i'm not like
2: not to say that everyone could like 100 percent know when they're accidentally handing a character an idiot ball and not thinking things
1: yeah i think for amaryllis especially people anytime that she is not being a like hyper competent uh-huh. optimizing ice queen, people are like that's out of character and i'm just like that's like that is not the totality
2: also characters can just change right like she could have it could have been a super optimizing ice cream start out and like she changed from the experience of, of going through uh pregnancy and like she changed through knowing Fenn and like yeah it's it's also one of those things that that you
1: don't see in fiction very often where someone just has like an off day right, you know right. <laughs> or like i am not the same person throughout the whole day
2: yeah. character flaws that you just don't see in fiction was was I mean, we, we talked more about this there which is just like yeah, being able to see someone who is just just wants to lay in bed and, and uh watch anime all day as like a main character is just not something that you see.
1: Yeah. But yeah, I I, I don't think that the hell arc needed to happen. I had it happen because it was more thematically coherent that way. It it made more sense that it would be a loss. But I don't think it had to be. Now the question of like what would it have taken for me to not have it be is I'm not sure I can answer that, but I did think about, you know, what if what if what if the fight against Felsie just wins? But it makes more sense to me to have failure and then mm-hmm. success. And then that second success is kind of like the end of Worth the Candle. And then they go mm-hmm. into the long stairs and they are stepping into this like deconstruction of right. Dungeons and Dragons. And this deconstruction of world building. And and then when they find Uther, they're in his story. Yeah. But but a lot of people wanted a Climactic, like, I don't know. People were expecting a climactic final, like, battle between Uther and Juniper for, like, as soon as the Longsters happened, like, started from, from, like, the second Fellseed fight on. People were, like, expecting that.
2: And especially when he showed up, they were like, yeah, this, we're going to end this with a big fight. And it's totally what would happen in most other fiction like this. Yeah. Like, absolutely, it's what would happen in most fiction like this. If it was made into a TV show, and it didn't happen. Like, I'm pretty sure the producers would be like, what do you mean? There's no, there's no final fight with the guy he's been looking for this whole time that has all these powers and stuff.
1: Yeah. And, and I, I think that it's very, it's very understandable that you don't have like a pure, like emotional resolution. I get, I get why why I have had some people be like, okay, your, your narrative instincts just don't match up with mine. I don't know. It's, it's, it's difficult
2: do you, how do you feel about Bethel's qu- conversational lack of conversation with Uther, I guess?
1: I I don't know. I liked it at the time, and I maybe mm-hmm. like it less in, in retrospect, but I also. I, 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 I think I saw someone call it like a wharf moment, but it wasn't really that. I do think there's something valuable to be said there about like, that's not how you get <laughs> a resolution. Like in real life, that's not. Like facing. You get to your... just like
2: ha- like talk to them about what they did to you and then have them like agree that they shouldn't have done it and like apologize and stuff. Yeah. I'm not a hundred percent
1: sold on it, but I-, I also haven't reread the stuff that I've
2: Yeah. Some potential room to improve is like obviously to say that it was it's a perfect story on the first pass is, is would be just like <laughs> humoristic instantly. <silly. laughs>
1: yeah. No, it's and and it's it's one of the, those things that I I do think about. I do think that the companions in general have very little agency towards mm-hmm. the end, but also Juniper has very little agency. So it's kind of like
2: Right. Uh two more questions maybe because this is already uh I think 2 hours. Uh-huh. One, uh would you recommend this sort of story for someone else who wants some self-therapy through writing?
1: Um I think this is a very tangled version of it. But yeah, I guess I would I think it, I think I my perspective on the death of my friends mm-hmm. is better now. I'm part of that is just spending like four years on this project, and in some ways, it's a form of like conversion mm-hmm. therapy. But I I'd, I'd recommend it. I think uh, therapy through writing out things is generally helpful, so long as you're doing it in the right way.
2: Mm-hmm. And second question: Would you read someone else using your world, but inserting themselves and their friends?
1: I don't think that it would work that well. (laughs) I think you would have to invent the specifics. I guess if it was like, if I, if I, people kept saying it was like really well written or something, I might, I might try. But I think that ARB is a good place. Not, not like, I I think it's a, it's got a good, it's got a lot of adventuring things and it's got a lot of interesting quirks and stuff. And so to that extent, I think it's good
2: yeah in terms of a uh spoilers for the good place stop listening now if you haven't seen the good place like in terms of like a final judgment crucible like to put people through before they like get to get to go to heaven right or get to like become god of their own world or something like that arab seems like a really cool concept in that in that respect and like obviously, like you said, like it had, it would, quite a lot of it would have to be very different, uh, but even if, if the if it was just the kept keeping the setting and keeping the the magic systems and and like just uh, recreating the the companions and the characters that like are meant to reflect specific things in the person's life, it seems it's, it seems like a cool, cool place yeah. to to go
1: yeah I, I I think that people writing their own stuff would need to be personal in the ways mm-hmm. that where the candle is personal for it to work properly. And if you, I guess I'd be interested in seeing what someone did with it. If they're taking like themselves and putting it into this story, that is personal to me because it's suddenly a, so much different to right. a story because it's not like, so, so if someone was doing like self insert thing, but like didn't have knowledge of worth the candle, <laughs> like their self insert knew nothing about worth the candle.
2: Like, right. Oh man, like just taking a person and having the DM be the narrator and and like actually, yeah, that'd be really cool.
1: Yeah. Um, there there's a lot of interesting stuff you do it's just such a different story because like the world being juniper's creation is so central to right right the story in so many ways and if you're suddenly changing just that single fact it changes so much of like his relationship
2: to the world his relationship to the world and also his relationship to the narration like having specialized knowledge is important it's
1: yeah, like a, it's, a, yeah. it's
2: like a key way of convincing people that you are actually someone special is that you know things that you shouldn't know
1: yeah it's it'd it be a very different very different kind of writing experience for that no i i it's 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 hard it's hard to think of the the counterfactual versions especially because like there, there there's there's so many like thematic changes that that happen just just from that part of what i liked in terms of like having i think i i I I did write a postmortem for this. And one of the things I, I mentioned in there is having like mirrors and, and sympathies between, between different things. And one of the things that I really like is the, all the stuff about creation Mm -hmm. and, and like authorship and stuff. And so much of that comes from Juniper being like, not a writer, but a creator and, and his relationship to like the things that he creates and what he thinks about creation, and like in turn, his relationship to God or the concept of God and the dungeon master, I don't I don't know there, there there's a lot of stuff that that I really enjoyed thinking about and enjoyed writing that that it would be very easy to accidentally strip out from the work.
2: Yeah, for sure. okay. And on that note. Thank you again for writing yes. and for writing this in specific. I really enjoyed it. Thanks everyone for listening. Hope it was fun for you guys too.